Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. With a deft ability to balance both half-hour single-camera comedies and one-hour dramas, Pete Chapman has directed episodes of HBO Max's The Flight Attendant, Insecure, Silicon Valley, and Love Life, Netflix's You and Atypical, ABC's Grey's Anatomy, Blackish, A Million Little Things, Station 19, Mixed-ish, and Single Parents, CBS's All Rise and The Unicorn, Stars, Blind Spotting, FX's, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Freeform's Grownish, TBS's, The Last OG, Owns, Greenleaf, and the Apple TV Plus series, Mythic Quest. He's in development on the education of Matt Barnes with Showtime, for which we, he will direct the pilot and serve as executive producer, and is currently co-executive producer and producing director on Reasonable Doubt, the first project to be produced via Hulu's Onyx Collective. His most recent short film, Black Card, premiered on HBO, and his narrative podcast, Wednesday Morning, engaged voters around the 2020 election. His podcast, Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman, is available on YouTube, iTunes, and all podcast platforms. In January 2022, his book, Transitions, A Director's Journey and Motivational Handbook, will be released by Michael Weesey Productions. Follow him on Instagram at Pete Chapman and at Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. And Carol, Pete Chapman has the same distributor as you do, Michael Weezy Publications, right? Yes, Claire, Pete and I are fortunate to have Michael as our publisher because he has the best group of writers in the film industry. Thank you, Pete, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor, a pleasure. Uh, it's great to join you this morning and, and, and chat about um, the book and the industry and fundraising. Um, and it's also interesting. I always like to, you know, note the, the full circle um, dynamics of many things in this journey. Um, many of the books that I bought for during my NYU film school days uh, were published by <laughs> Michael Weezy. Um, so it's really cool to now be amongst um, the, the authors in that, in that stable. So I, I love it. Isn't that fun? Yes. You grew up with them, you studied with them, and now you are one of them. It's great. Well, I'm truly impressed with your book, Transitions, A Director's Journey and Motivational Handbook. It's really a wonderful way to learn how to create films and move into the director's chair. 
your book shares such honest reality. I am uh, overwhelmed when I read things that you say because you are speaking from your heart. It's as if you you really want to get through to filmmakers, emerging filmmakers, emerging directors, what it takes to make it in the industry. And it's not all the fun stuff. It's the hard work and uh, the dedication that's required. Um, so we all need this. It's a great book. Um, and I really thank you for writing it. So it's a great industry. I've been treated so well since I started in this film industry. And you clearly state things that are needed for the business of film. Everybody thinks this is, you know, the, uh, it's exciting and they get uh, thrilled with the creative part. But it is a business and people really need to understand that. And I'm going to quote from you from your act one, you say discipline, you must get in control of you to succeed. Terrific. Very well stated. Flexibility, I say that's the number one requirement. Honesty, you say, is important. And I found that pays off in our business. When you don't know, you say, I don't know. And it's acceptable. <laughs> and uh, you move on. But I'll find out is the answer to that one. And you mentioned sacrifice, and that is the truth. You have to sacrifice a lot. You have to sacrifice a lot of Saturday nights. Forget um, partying all the time. You have to be awake in the morning early and prepared and functioning. And it takes a lot, Pete. You really put that together. So tell us more about this sacrificing, you say, that's needed to get in the business. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you. You know, the it was important for me in, in, in writing the book to, like, treat myself as the reader and, and imagine what would be impactful for me. So, like, when you mention discipline, flexibility, honesty, uh, and sacrifice, those are all keywords that represent um, specific chapters in the book and how those particular um, principles or characteristics or however we want to define it were called upon at that stage of the journey. And so when you talk about sacrifice, I think, you know, I, 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 just, I just put it like this. It, it took me 18 years before I was ever paid to direct something narratively. Um, I made music videos, you know, here and there. I made branded content, which was uh, an emerging thing in, you know, from like 20, 2014 to 2018. I was doing that a lot, and there was a lot of documentary profiles for, you know, big brands and, and whatnot, uh, some ad agencies. But it took 18 years before someone was like, we want you to direct. We're paying you. We're hiring you to direct this thing that's been written um, and by someone and is intended to be on a TV screen. And along that 18-year journey, there were, um, like you say, there were, there were times where you'd have to say, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to miss that event because I need to um, be prepping this shoot or writing this script or researching um, this topic. Um, there are a lot of times where you spend money, uh, <laughs> your, your last dime to get film out the lab in the beginning <laughs> of my career when we were still doing that, you know, uh, 
And I think it's just um, knowing that you have to, there's going to be peaks and valleys. And if you work to master your craft and you really study the business, um, those sacrifices and and those other things, you know, flexibility, honesty, discipline, help uh, can pay off. And there was, um, you know, you mentioned the business of of entertainment. You know, I kind of feel like there's, there's the art or the craft, there's the business, and then there's the psychology of it all. Um, you know, I, I was I was on an interview yesterday <laughs> for 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 a new show, and we we got into a conversation about soft skills. So you know, um, hard skills are okay. Yeah, you you can make a shot list, and you know how to cover a scene, and you you know perhaps know what uh, words you want to say to an actor. But the soft skills are dealing with a challenging actor who's in a bad mood that day or <laughs> dealing with a, 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 crew, a crew that is, you know, uh, en route to revolt because they are unhappy with the hours and your really interesting shot sounds like a burdensome uh, use of their energy. And you can, you know, how do you navigate that? So I, I think those soft skills are, are really uh, and that psychology, understanding the psychology of like the job and the people you work with, is really important to make all the sacrifice pay off. To make the sacrifices pay off, absolutely right. Um, one of my friends is a, uh, a producer, and she, when she goes to get crew, Pete, she uh, she calls everyone on the list that they give as references and says uh, to get every reference she can. And um, and what she says is, if you get, uh, if two people have the same skills and one is more, uh, is nicer on the set, one gets a lot of comments about how easy they are to get along with, she will take that person. Even if that person has less skill, she'll take it because having a uh, a good crew that gets along and supports the director is what she's looking for. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very smart yeah. person. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it takes. It really does because you're all working together, but it is the psychology of the job. That's, that's part of it too. Well, let's go um, back to the book. I love this book. So I want to give the audience uh some more of the book, and I want to start with your worksheet for Chapter 1, Curiosity. You say, Curiosity will help you find your passion. Explore and learn as you discover your vision, define your taste, and identify your skills. When you stop being curious, you stop being relevant. Wow, this is incredible. So let's tell us about that and your, also your worksheet entitled Finding My Voice. I think that's important. Thank so, you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. You know, I think that um, I, I, I always preface that I think in, that people are, are going to be in different stages of their career when they read the book or, or listen to these interviews and conversations. And so I never intend to burden someone with like, oh, you're, you should have it all figured out. You, know, you should know exactly what you want to do and, you know, uh, you only want to, you have one sole focus and, and attack it for the next 15, 18 years. Like, uh, I know that that can make the first step seem challenging um, and can maybe 
um, what is it, uh, analysis paralysis um, can, 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 can occur. But uh, the purpose of this Finding My Voice worksheet is to really encourage the reader to look within and recognize um, that sometimes the answers are already there. You just have to organize them. So I ask, uh, what are your top five movies, television shows, and books of all time? Um, and the idea there is that that's likely to reveal things about yourself that you might not have ever considered. Um, you'll find common threads and themes that engage your soul. Um, if you could say anything in the world, what would it be? You know, uh, would you want to talk about love and loss, race and culture, sports and adventure? Is there a particular genre that you like uh, when you answer this question that shows you've been avoiding what you really want to tackle? So, you know, are you, are you, are you doing a lot of comedy and, but you prefer satire or you prefer thriller or whatever, but you've just been reluctant to write in that space? Um, answering these kind of honest, reflective um, questions can help you point yourself in the direction that will be most fulfilling because, look, to be honest, if, if something's going to take 18 years, it's going to really need to be what you want to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in my case. Um, and then I think, you know, once you have decided on a, on a target, um, what is the path to directing those stories that you want to tell? So that's where, you know, books like mine are, are great. Or, you know, for me, I, I read Sidney Lumet's Making Movies and all the Spike Lee books that he would put out. Um, and that was like my opportunity to learn what it meant to be a director, um, to live the life of a director and to understand what that life looked like outside of the films that I was seeing. And so that was really helpful in me getting a sense of like, it can take a long time or it's, it's hard to raise money or it's challenging to deal with actors sometimes that are, uh, more experienced than you. Um, and so I, I feel like that particular worksheet on finding your voice can be a nice um, ign igniter to, like, choosing wisely as you begin to eliminate things that you don't want to do. Because, you know, even in writing and, and, and directing, I think the, the, the quickest question I'm trying, to I'm trying to answer is, what is this not? Like, what's, what does not fit in this script? What does not fit in this scene? Because the, more, the sooner I determine that, the sooner I can get toward what should be in it. Wow, that's really an interesting way to look at it. That's great. And the energy, um, are you, I mean, I watch sometimes Quentin Tarantino's films and I and I'm not I realize at the end of the scene I start to breathe again I have been holding my breath <laughs> because he he put so much tension in one scene it's amazing and uh, so I guess that's the director's job to recognize uh, and to do that to your audience to really grab them and keep them exactly exactly and he's great at that yeah yeah well, but Sidney Lumet is one of my favorites, too. I love the way he directs. <laughs> and Akira Kurosawa, this is his birthday today, too. We have to oh, honor wow. him. He was a great director. Okay, so Indeed. let's go to... Act, what? 
I said indeed. I agree with you. Indeed, yes. Okay. Let's go to Act 1, Chapter 4, Honesty. Because in this chapter, you tell us about going to Robert McKee's story seminar, and you say, I left the story seminar finally acknowledging something I should have admitted a while back. The script for Premium, which is your feature film, was not up to par. So you say you want to be able to look at your work honestly and say without a doubt, I've done my very best. And if you can't say that, I suggest you go immediately back to the drawing board. So tell us about this revelation and what you did after the seminar. So, uh, yeah, that, th- these things kind of all tie together. You know, um, as I was writing a script, my first feature, um, I'm you know, writing your first script is, is daunting, scary, but you do it because you're like, I want, I want to make this movie. I want to be a director, and this is the only way in. Um, and so you're 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 fighting in the you're fighting blindly because you don't really know what you're doing. You don't really know how to do it. And so for me, um, I was seeking out books, work workshops, conferences, anything that could help me elevate my craft. And so uh, I went to the Robert McKee seminar, and uh, it was eye-opening because he – it's a three-day seminar, and he just kind of deconstructs scenes. And on – at least at that time, on the third day, he did a scene-by-scene breakdown of Casablanca, which is one of my favorite films. And so what you're forced to – recognize unless you want to lie to yourself <laughs> you're forced to recognize the level of craft and and um craftsmanship that goes into a screenplay and what i took away from that when i when i looked in inward and and directly at the script that i was writing for premium i recognized that i was not doing all that the that was required of me as a writer and that the material called for. And so, um, you know, I think at that, up until that point, I had been doing what I like to call the Band-Aid revision, where you get like <laughs> a couple notes, you know, you like, you like, you like eight of the 25 notes you got from people and you, you change a little dialogue and you move one scene here and there. And then you're like, you know, draft six, now done. And you haven't really uh, gotten to the heart of what isn't working. Um, and so, after that seminar, I just went back to my to my script document, and I deleted a hundred pages of it. Um, wow! And I I, I kind of I wanted to do it in that way because I felt like if I just make a new file document, you know, and uh, and 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 save it under a different title, I it doesn't. It's like it's like using a credit card where you don't necessarily feel the money leaving your pocket <laughs> in the same way that you do when you spend cash. Um, and I wanted to like watch that document go from 110 pages to seven pages, and know that that was the amount of work that I really needed to put in to to get this thing right. And, oh, and honestly, looking gosh. back, it's still not right. It still could be better, but but the. 2005 version of me, you know, I did the best that I could. Oh, my gosh, that is so important. What you have just done is not put yourself down to recognize that at that time in your life, that was that was perfect for the moment. 
because this is important for all filmmakers to never put themselves down because the only way you get ahead in this business is to love yourself, support yourself on a daily basis. And you've learned that, Pete, I'm sure. Yes, you have to. Not everybody's going to do it. So uh, I, I always say don't don't be the one that is uh, singing or putting out negative energy or negative thoughts about about. Um, what you're doing. Let other people do that, but you've got to try and be um, a beacon of light for for all things, you know, Pete or all things Carol. You know, that, that's your job. Yes, exactly. Um, because this is a hard business, and, you, uh, and it's inside you. We're all born with all of this uh, strength and courage and, and creativity inside of us. So um, we're the ones that have to make it happen. It's our belief and faith in ourselves that creates our reality. So good for you. That's a great way to look at it. Well, uh, how many drafts did you have by the time you had finished? If you if you added the six that you had on the first and then with the second and the other rewrites, how many drafts did you have before you said this is it? I think uh, it was about 27 or 28 before it was like, okay, I think, I think this is it. That's terrific. Um, there was a filmmaker I helped, and he, he had 52 rewrites. I mean, sometimes <laughs> it was only 10 words, you know, but um, 52 rewrites, and he won awards for his film. And so it made it really worth it. And, and it was his first feature, too. So it's not um, Jeff who runs uh, uh, the uh, filmmaker's boot camp, the writer's boot camp, says when you have finished your script, you are 7% to completion. How about that? <laughs> uh, that sounds about right, for real. <laughs> for real, yes. Okay. All right, so let's go to Chapter 4, How to Raise Funds. you want to share that with us? Yes, yeah, so you know the the, the centerpiece. The, the book is divided into three acts. I chose to do that because I wanted the reader to relate to my personal hero's journey, if I may, in the sense of you know there's the setup uh, in the early years, there's the confrontation, which is what I like to call the valley of, of my career, where I'm really trying to figure things out and I, I see all these mountains where I, I'd love to climb, but I just don't know how to get there or what, what equipment I'm going to need. And then, um, of course, Act 3 is the, is the resolution. And so the, the kind of centerpiece um, of Act 1 is after my NYU film school education um, and uh, graduating and going to Sundance with my thesis film, I was then intent on making this feature film premium and raising the money for the film. Uh, it had a, as with all things, it was it was quite the learning curve. I think our first budget was like 1.75 million, and we made uh, cuts and slashes, and you know probably four or five different versions of the budget before we finally settled on a 520 thousand dollar budget. And at this time in 2005, like, if that sounds like, I don't know what that sounds like to listeners. It might sound like a lot or it might sound like a little, but at that time, um, you know, shooting on, on, 
on video was not uh, up to par as far as like what audiences were used to watching and the and the quality of video was wasn't there yet. So we were we shot on film and that just kind of um, exponentially raises costs across the board because of the fact that you're shooting and capturing on film. Um, but in in raising the money for that, um, what's interesting is that we essentially did what became commonplace amongst crowdfunding campaigns. So we had individual units of investment uh, that started at $5,000. We allowed people um, uh, different credit based off of how many units they purchased. So, for instance, if you did, you know, one to uh, one to ten units, so five thousand to fifty thousand dollars of an investment, you'd be a founding producer. Um, if you did uh, on the high end, if you did twenty units or more, so a hundred thousand dollars or more, you'd be an executive producer. And there were scales in between, including associate producer and and the like. And so, um, what we were able to do was. Uh, secured 35 investors to to help us reach our $520,000 budget. And the thing that I like to note that's really interesting is 18 of those 35 investors did purchased one unit at $5,000. And when you when you when you look at a crowdfunding campaign, they're they're similarly as bottom heavy. It, you kind of get a groundswell of people who are interested in supporting for whatever reason, and that movement and that progression is kind of perhaps a sign to people who have an opportunity to invest more. It's a sign for them to see that there's some support for this project, and then I think it can compel them to contribute whatever amounts they'll contribute. Um, and so, you know, at the high end, like I said, 18 uh, people that had $5,000 units, and then we had one person at 100,000, one person at 50, one at 40, one at 30, one at 25, one at 20. Um, and it was just amazing to watch all of this come together behind something that I had conjured up in my mind and uh, not too uh, far uh, in the past had deleted a hundred pages of, <laughs> so it all it all came together. <laughs> this is wonderful. That's a lot of work. Who helped you? So I had a producing partner, um, Kevin Frakes. We were both NYU uh, graduates, and uh, he had left NYU and gone on to uh, get a get a get a get an MBA from Yale School of Management. And so he was focused on producing um, for television and film. I'm sorry, not for television, producing for film. Um, he's since gone on to produce the John Wick movies and a lot of other uh, films. Ooh, and, uh, you know, we just kind of, we, we put our nose to the grindstone and, and worked to figure out how we could find, find, build the awareness, I think, first of all. That's another thing I'll say. Like, it, it, it's not about going around saying, we need money, we need money, we need money. It's about informing people of what you're doing, letting them know why, uh, you know, expressing your passion, uh, and while also letting them know you're looking for investors. But I think that's uh, 
often a place where people, um, if I may, where, where people misstep, like with, with a crowdfunding campaign, it's, it's not about, it's about how many people can you get to see that link, not how many people can you say, give me some money. The, it, the awareness kind of leads to things that you can't expect, but asking people for money can be a dead end very quickly when people don't have it or don't want to do it. That's right. Uh, that's why I, I tell my documentary filmmakers, go out there and ask for advice. Find an executive or an entrepreneur and get them to ask them for advice, to read your proposal and give you some feedback. Because when you ask for money, you often get advice. But when you ask for advice, that can lead you to money. That's what I think. Exactly. And that helps. Yes. Well, the whole thing is that uh, you, too, must have been a great team to because if you sold 38 people, how many did you talk to? 100, 150? Um, oh. It had to be a lot. I, I wish I knew. Those are the kind of things. Like I, Sometimes I wish I kept every rejection letter I ever received and, you know, every every no. Um, I... I I would I would feel comfortable saying it was at least you know 250 people um, in a variety of different ways because we threw events and parties and workshops and so we were we were we were hitting hitting different demographics in a variety of different ways so there were a lot of people who 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 knew of what we were doing maybe didn't contribute but I think you know. Sometimes that that's how you get someone to, to buy a ticket, you know, because now they are aware they might not support, but you find a way to make it happen. And a year down the line, they're, they're lining up to, to go see it in the theater. So there's no um, – everything, is, everything is, is useful and everything has some kind of payoff, if, only, if even only for experience. Yes, it all pays off. Well, um, so you had parties, what like a funding party, and you brought in entertainment, or what? Tell us about it. So what I did, um, I we we had parties. I wanted to basically, with the idea of, it's an awareness campaign. I knew that the quickest way to make more people aware of what we were doing was to get as many people as possible in one place. <laughs> and so um, <laughs> we we threw parties where I would show um, a piece of, of work um, related to the film um, and also just have a good Saturday night experience, you know, in New York City. And so I threw two parties. They were each called the premium party. And at midnight, I would uh, show a short film. Um, so, you know, something in five to ten minutes. And uh, I charged entry for, for this event. Um, it would be something like, you know, $10 before midnight, 15 after, because people <laughs> knew it was a fundraiser. Um, but also the, the, the $15 kind of increase would compel people, hopefully, to get there before midnight, which would be when we would show the short film. And um, those were really successful in increasing the amount of people who were aware of me and the project and what we were trying to do. So... Um, there were there were no avenues that uh, were untouched in trying to introduce people to to this thing we were trying to create. 
That's marvelous because then you have word of mouth and now you have social networking. So those parties really pay off with uh, social currency where people can talk about going to a party and supporting a filmmaker. That's all really great PR and marketing. Well done. Okay, well, um, I love the worksheets that you created for the chapters. Uh, Let's go to the worksheet that you uh, entitled, What's the Worst (laughs) That Can Happen? I really love that Mm -hmm. one. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, so what's the worst that can happen? And I I guess as I kind of look back at this book, it's really a window into into my mind. Um, And I I guess that's obvious. But the other thing is, you know, it's one it's one person's idea of uh, of an approach, because I think the what I've found is the industry has is in such flux and you're dealing with so many different types of people and situations that the more that you can have your own kind of um, systems for dealing with things, the more you can take the wild waves of the industry and then, you know, put them into a package that you can surf uh, to keep that analogy going. And so what's the worst that can happen for me is like um, a way to remind myself, I guess, to continue to sacrifice, right? So what's the worst that can happen if I show up on set unprepared? Um, Well, that means actors are going to lose faith in me. It means that the production may think that they hired the wrong person and I won't be invited back. Um, It means that that word is likely to travel far and wide um, because everyone, it's a small town and people know one another and they chat. And that one act of showing up unprepared for one day of, of an episode might be why I don't get future episodes. So that then tells me to sacrifice and stay up later, uh, watch more episodes of the show, you know, uh, reapproach my shot list the third or fourth time so I can step on set and, and be um, the vision of myself that I, that I, project in my mind when I'm at my best. Um, What's the worst that can happen if I uh, have a meeting and I don't prepare? Um, Well, I will, I'll be at a loss for how to navigate this conversation. I will also perhaps miss opportunities to build rapport because I didn't research the person I'm chatting with and find out that maybe they went to NYU or maybe it worked with another actor that I've worked with um, that would, you know, uh, build a sense of rapport between us that might, you know, end up in, in, a, in a good recommendation or maybe a job. And so I feel like I just constantly want to go back to um, what's the worst that can happen so I can do my best and ensure that the best things happen. Brilliant. You're so right. Because you are always on um, on stage, the director is the person everybody is there for to to get your vision on the screen. Everybody is watching you, so how you act and what you do is of utmost importance. That it be the very best, or um, 
that you know that it looks natural too <laughs> that you're not stretching that you are this genius you are the walking genius and you can do it because um everybody on that set talks to other people yes. and they're going to say I just worked with the great director Pete Chapman and and that's what you want them to say um so it's like you're always on and uh the moment you get in to the coffee that morning, there you go. It starts right there. That's that's really important to understand all of that. Um, well, let's go back to premium because now I'd like to know some of the things that you learned when you were making that film that you might be able to share with uh, filmmakers, who uh, emerging filmmakers or those who really need to know some of these uh, pitfalls that you might have run into and how you overcame them. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, what did I learn? Uh, I, I, I tell folks that making a feature is different from making a short. I think I thought, and I know others may think that, oh, I've made, you know, a, a, a bunch of shorts. I, I, it's a, I, Making a feature will be like making several shorts in a row, um, and it's not. It's, a, it's obviously script dependent, but there's a different type of, um, uh, energy that you need, a different kind of uh, attention to detail that you need. Uh, you won't hear many people talk about the physicality of directing, but I can tell you it's, you know, you're, you're, you wake up, you immediately are going over what you've prepped for the day. You get the set early because you don't, you you know that if you get there at when most of the crew is there, the moment you get out your car, you're going to get bombarded by questions. So you're now compelled to get there early so you can mm-hmm. have a few moments of time to get your mind around, you know, what you visualize. Maybe now you want to walk the set and get a sense of like, okay, that actually does make sense or maybe I should uh, pivot and do something different here. Um, and then – all day is just a, 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 a melodrama of emotions, and <laughs> whether they're your own or, or the people you're working with. And then there's obviously a beautiful moments of, of collaboration, and, and you're seeing your vision uh, come to life, and you're like, this is why I, I, I wrote this thing, or I've been working on it for all these years. And then you rap, and you get home, and you don't go to sleep. You're wondering if what you <laughs> did today worked well. And then you proceed to prep for tomorrow because you know, you know, what's the worst that could happen? I'll show up tomorrow and be unprepared, and that won't be good. So it's really all-consuming. And, you know, hopefully you're remembering to drink water and eat all, all the while. Um, you know, stay in touch with your family as much as you can. But it's a, it's a really all-consuming thing. And I feel like the, the more the, – prep becomes that much more important because the more you prep, the more you have an ability to be at ease and be relaxed on set. And I just think that when when you compare a three- to five-day shoot to, like, a 25-day shoot, it it isn't just something that that scales up. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I just urge urge people to – they say sweat and prep so you don't bleed in production. I think that that is (laughs) – even more apropos when talking about feature films. 
Exactly. And 20 days of production is enough to kill anybody that's not in good shape, really. <laughs> it is. Yes. Okay, well, um, let's get back to uh, Chapter 12 on branding and, and tell us how you got representation and rebranded yourself because you have to keep selling yourself. It, no matter what position you're in in the film industry, if you want to get hired, it's uh, you that makes it happen. Branding yourself is a great idea. Yeah, yeah, there, and I, I think there's a variety of schools of thought on this. I think people, there's some people who think, oh, well, branding, branding, whatever. Um, I, I personally feel, and, 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 and many of those people think, you know, it's, it's about the work. It's about the work. A, script, a good script sells itself or, you know, um, uh, if, you're, if you're a great director, like, you'll get hired. I don't, I don't personally believe that. Because the the reality of of the people who are in power and in control of the hiring decisions, it's not a meritocracy. It's not, you know. So I, I think that when if if we agree, if if one believes that, then the thing that you can control or add to your um, you know uh, to your scouting report is you know what you create by selling yourself. And so for me, I knew that, you know, I was coming into this television um, industry um, having not done anything at all. Uh, I also had done almost everything possible as a filmmaker, but it was not under the the industry was not aware of it. Even my, my feature films I did, you know, independently, so it wasn't like, um, there was some mini major studio or you know production company with years of, uh, of of content that people could say, oh, you worked with them. It was like I made this thing that's just a sentence in a bio, and and you and the industry folks might not have any connection to it, right? And so um, I was intent on by on, on considering being aware, being self aware of that, and wondering, well, how can I help myself? And so rather than saying, oh, I'm a guy who's done, you know, two feature films and music videos and documentary and commercials, like I can do everything, I said, I'm working, I'm looking to do one thing, half-hour single-camera comedies, and these are the shows that I'm interested in doing. So now it becomes, you know, the, the analogy I use all the time, um, so anyone listening may have heard this before if you've heard me talk before, but I, I compare it to, like, you know, the old days, if, if your plum, if your, if your toilet, you know, started leaking or, you know, spewing water and you went to that crazy relic called the yellow pages um, and you looked and you saw, you know, um, oh, plumbing, uh, accounting and uh, landscaping, call us now, or you saw 24-hour emergency plumbing, you're going to call 24-hour emergency plumbing because the other things have nothing to do with what you are looking and what your needs are. And so I just wanted to focus on a single thing that people could um, zone in on and be very specific about how they could help me. And on the, on the other side of that was I wanted to explain who I was 
in my origin story and in my bio and in these meetings that I'd have in a way that made that it made sense in an in a in a in an honest way that I would be perfect for these half hour single camera comedies that I wanted to do. And so that that's what the branding effort was. It was being that specific, looking at the industry and, and, and what it worked. And um, you know, the bigger picture of that is um, you know, I I'm thinking about where I want to be five years from now. Like, you know, let's take um, today where I am now versus five years ago when I'm doing these meetings trying to get into the industry. And it kind of all worked out as I had hoped, which is I, I, I look at somebody like Adam McKay who started with with Anchorman, you know, as far as the film. And now in TV he's doing Succession and Winning Time and, you know, uh, in feature films, Don't Look Up and Vice. Like people go from comedy to drama, uh, mm-hmm. more so than they go from drama to comedy. And so all of that was factored into um, the strategy behind this branding idea, so to speak. Oh, how smart of you. I never realized that. They go from comedy to drama. That's great to know. Yeah, it's it's pretty, uh, I guess the, telling a joke is hard, you know, as, as, as <laughs> enjoyable as it is, but telling the joke is hard and not, uh, you can you can do drama without necessarily, you know, I don't know if there's a dramatic bone, so to speak, <laughs> but, like, if you were to do a comedy and you can't find the funny, it's just going to fall flat. Yes, that's right. Right. Okay, I am so pleased. Thank you so much for giving us all this information. But share with us where people can buy your book, Transitions, A Director's Journey, plus the Motivational Handbook. So anybody interested in this book? Um, and I, I also say the, the original title was How to Succeed as a Creative Professional because I felt that the book really would serve anyone in a creative field as far as the principles to apply in their own respective journey. Um, but the, the, the marketer in me recognized that I, if it speaks directly to directors, it would probably be smarter uh, of me as far as a marketing thing. Um, but I like to say that so people do recognize it's not only for folks behind the camera. I think it's great for writers. I think it's great for people in the ad industry, um, actors, whatever it may be. Um, but it's available uh, via our publisher, Michael Weezy, at uh, mwp.com. Uh, and, of course, it's on amazon.com. And, uh, yeah, I hope uh, folks pick it up and, and and find something useful in the pursuit of and the execution of the passion projects that are most dear to them. Well, you've done a great job to open your heart and tell us the truth about stuff. I really love that part. But before you go, I, I really want to get some uh, more advice from you because last year I um, had a filmmaker complain that uh, we, in our grants, we were giving too many grants to documentaries and not enough to short films, and I checked, and he was right. So I said, okay, well, we'll start a short film grant, and we did, and it was the first time we'd ever done it, but we were amazed at the number of applications we got and the quality 
of the applications. I mean, it was really shocking to see how many talented filmmakers are out there starting out making short films, or maybe this would be the third or fourth short film they were making. So um, it's it's a wonderful feeling to, to touch on that and find how many people are out there that are really talented. So I'm wondering, what advice can you give to filmmakers who are making short films right now that you learned or that you wish you knew when you were back there? Hmm. Um, well, first, I, I have a I have a very uh, sweet, soft spot in my heart for the short film because I, I I love them. I love making them. I try and make one every year still, um, just to explore stories that uh, I might not get a chance to, you know, make. Um, and so, you know, and it, it's just a different beast in the sense of like you're exploring a moment in time, maybe not necessarily a beginning, middle and end. So it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a a presentation of an idea um, in a world that continues beyond the end credits, which I think is really an an interesting storytelling opportunity. But I would say, um, and this is, this was my guiding principle, you know, forget everything, but what's available to you, you know, when, when, I, I kind of got to live through the transition of going from from film to video and then from video to phone, you know, like <laughs> I could use my phone right now and make uh-huh. a 4K, um, you know, short film and I could call my friend with a drone or I could just buy some stock footage off of Pond5 and I could put together something that for all intents and purposes looks like television, looks like a, a film. And so I think it's um, use the resources that you have available to you. When you have a particular voice um, and vision, I think you can execute on that vision at any budget level. I always say there's, there's the $1 version of, a, of, a, of an idea, there's the million-dollar version of an idea, and there's the you know, billion-dollar version of an idea. And choose which one you should focus your efforts on because at the end of the day, you know, a completed idea will always win out over, you know, this thing that you can't make um, unless you get all of these other resources that you don't have. So that would be my, that would be my approach. And then obviously um, go for all the grants that you can. It's beautiful that you have, um, directed resources towards short film makers. And then I think it's like, in my mind, it would be a bonus to what I was already um, going to make happen hook or crook. And now maybe I can elevate it or, or do, I can go from the $1 version to the, to the $100,000 version. Um, but, you know, do what you can and do it as often as possible. That would be my advice. Do it as often as possible. You are so right, because going back to the phone, you can make a film a month on your phone, even if it's three or five minutes, and it can be any story. But the point is uh, how you shoot it, and you're, because you're practicing, you are directing uh, when you make the film, right? You're practicing all the skills, really. Exactly, exactly. Right. 
Well, um, let me just, this is the last question, but I get this a lot. Filmmakers will call me, and they have a $60,000, $70,000 short that they want to make. And, uh, and the feature that this goes to, it'll be a part of or a rewrite of the feature in the short, but the feature is only around 500000 So uh, sometimes I say, why don't you just make the feature, you know, and see how they mm-hmm. respond. And if it comes out fear, then uh, if they're afraid they can't do that, then I encourage the short. But how do you feel about this? If you're talking to one of your friends and uh, they have to go out and raise 60000 to make a short where the feature is not much more, it's a half a million so how is that? What would you say? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I may, I may, I may be the unpopular opinion, um, <laughs> but I feel like, um, you know, I used to teach at NYU, and I would, as, as the landscape shifted, I would ask, like, students what they wanted to do, and a lot of them wanted to, would say, you know, I want to make feature films, and then I would, get, I would then kind of poke around and try and get to the heart of that, and a lot of times it was a vanity thing connected to the nostalgia that we've all had growing up for the film director. But when you start probing around and saying, well, what are you watching? A lot of them would name nothing but television shows. And so, you know, I think that in, in response to the specific question, um, I'm a guy who made two features and, you know, I learned a lot, and I was building my name in some spaces, but it was a short film, you know, uh, seven years after the second feature in 2015 that got me an agent and got me a manager. Whoa. It was a short film. Wow. And so, you know, I would say, you know, if I can make a 60K short right now, or I need a whole bunch of resources. I need to figure out where to get this, you know, 500 to make a feature. Maybe, maybe next year, maybe not, or maybe it'll take three months. Maybe it'll take three years. Like my thing would be to make the make the short, make what you can right now, and consider how you can elevate it. So, will it be production value? Will it be? Um, do you know actors that can do you a favor? You know, maybe you can get an actor to do you a favor for two days versus, you know the two weeks that you need in the feature, you know, it's like weighing all those different um, elements and, and saying, how can I turn this thing into something um, that is a really good calling card for me? Because, you know, uh, while there may be a market for the indie film, as far as like a return on investment, I, I think that business has changed so much um, and it's driven by such temple projects from, you know, superheroes or other intellectual property, other books that, you know, it's not, you're only exposing yourself to, to more um, unhappy investors even by, by making something, you know, that, that costs more money. Good. That's really good, good practical advice. Thank you. I, uh, I will keep that in mind. Uh, I really understand it when you put it that way. You're right. 
uh, and to know that 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 the shark got you uh, was beneficial for you, it can be so for other people. I think that's great. Well, thank you so much. We love your book, and we really encourage filmmakers, directors, producers, anybody in the industry. I totally agree. Will love this film, uh, this book, because it makes you think. It makes you think, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's encouraging and truthful. So thank you, Pete, and best of luck to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Carol. It's been a pleasure. Yes, I appreciate that. And, uh, Claire, we thank you. And I want to say that this is Jonathan Smith's birthday. He's an emerging filmmaker that I highly uh, respect and admire. And um, so he's going to get your book, Pete, for his birthday present. Oh, Jonathan, happy birthday, and I look forward to seeing whatever you are creating and making in the future. Best of luck. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so kind of you. Okay. Thank you both. Okay. Thank All you. right. Be well, everyone. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone. <laughs>